This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Now, I told you to pre-mark your Bibles in John chapter 4, but we're going to, and keep your ribbon there, because we will get there. That's my, that's my purpose today, to get there. Uh, but let's start in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And as I, on purpose, want to get to John chapter 4, I'm going to say some things that, if you have been here over the last few months, you've heard. So we started this in, say, the end of October. When we talked about ye which are spiritual, coming out of Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Again, brethren, I'm talking to the brethren. If any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. And when he says here, ye which are spiritual, we understand that is a statement of spiritual maturity. Those of us who are spiritually mature, we're supposed to restore our brothers. And I want to tell you this, Church of Living Water, we are a spiritually mature ministry. And we will remain a spiritually mature ministry. And if we are a spiritually mature ministry, this means we have a work. Arise and build. Because we have a work, if we are spiritually mature. And that work is the work of restoration. If we, as a ministry, have a work, that means you have a work. We all have a work. There is no questioning what can I do. You can do the work that we have to do, which is the work of restoration. You are a part of that. And understand this. When restoration does not happen, this scripture tells us the spirit is missing among us. The time is now the time of restoration. Again, in review, some of this may be new to some of you, but some of you heard this before. But there are common tools for this work that we have of restoration. There are common tools for each and every one of us. And one of those tools that we must have is kindness. We made the statement that every tool belt of restoration must have kindness. There are some tools that everybody ought to have. You know, at home you ought to have a hammer. <laughs> at home you always need a screwdriver. See, in this work of restoration, in the building that we're going to do, we have to have kindness in our tool belt. But I want you to understand this. We're still seeking and saving the lost. We have not left that mission. We have never left that mission. Uh, don't get it confused. Again, this is why I want to make sure that you understand when, when, when it seems like we're doing something different. No, it's a continuation of what God started some time ago. And we've always stayed with seeking and saving the lost. That has always been a part of this ministry. It was the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that continues until this very day. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day where Jesus said, while it is day, let's work. Because soon the night comes when no man can work. So while it is day, he says, I must work the work of him that sent me. Now Christ has sent us. And the work of this day is restoration, seeking and saving the lost. So for seeking and saving the lost, 
This means the gospel message is still required and must be believed. Now follow with me. I'm going somewhere here. But if we're still seeking the same of the lost, if that was the mission Christ Jesus has put us on, this means the gospel message is still required and must be believed. But the gospel cannot stand alone in word. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going somewhere with this. I hope you're listening real well. Uh, the gospel can't stand alone in word. It has to <laughs> have something accompanying. There must be faith. Faith has to be added to the gospel message. I know, I know. Oh, this is going to be boring. Stay with me. Faith must be added to the gospel message. So the question then is, what is faith? What is faith? Now, for me, I find in my study, in my time, in the Word, faith is something that I just can't put in a sentence or in a paragraph, and that's faith. Faith has to be described. It's better described than it is defined. And so part of the description of faith that you need to understand is faith is active. I heard it this morning. You know, lazy is off purpose because faith and lazy don't go together. Faith is actually active. The gospel gets you moving. The gospel believed gets you moving. Amen. Faith is active. It's not in word alone. Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This is important to understand. (laughs) Look at this. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you. Because we must understand faith without works is dead. Wow, that's... Verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? See, brethren, that's what we started with in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. James 2 and 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Look at this in verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. So here's the challenge. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Because you can't show me your faith without works. But if I have faith, the testimony of my faith is the works. And jump down to verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, because we're still seeking and saving the lost. And if we're saving the lost, if we're seeking and saving the lost, that takes the gospel message. But if the gospel has been received, if it has been believed, there are works that come along with my faith. Salvation is by faith and not by works. Sounds like I just contradicted myself. You know, we've been saying this, I don't know how long. Salvation is by faith, not by works. But once saving faith is there, I know you didn't hear me. One saving faith. Because somebody says, I have faith, but I have no works. That's not saving faith. Verse 14 says, What doth the prophet, my brother? And though one man say he hath faith and have not works, is that saving faith? No, it's not. Salvation is by faith, not by works. But once saving faith is present, works will follow. My actions are determined by my faith. 
faith is active. It does not lie dormant. When I believe the gospel message, when I have saving faith, and my works follow, I become the living witness, the very substance of the unseen. No, you didn't get that at all, did you? See, because someone says, well, well, I can just preach the gospel message. No, you've got to live it. Because the message can't stand alone. There must be faith. Yeah, there must be faith. You are the living witness. You must be the evidence of that which cannot be seen. So when I have saving faith, I become the living witness, the very substance of the unseen. You can't see my faith but you can see my works. Again, verse 18 says, Jay, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. And again, Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Your faith, which is not dormant, your faith, which is active, is the substance. It is the evidence. Wow. I'm sorry about this, but a lot of times we we want to minister to people and say, why don't you get it? Are you living it? Where's the substance? Where's the evidence? Maybe that's all that's missing. You see, because a lot of us, we have the gospel message, but do we have saving faith? Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. We ought to go to Hebrews 11. We won't go there, but it starts talking about how faith, saving faith, brings about works. Because by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Hallelujah. By faith, Abraham was ready to offer a Isaac. By faith, Abraham searched for a city whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. See, their faith was saving faith, because faith without works is dead. But their evidence of their faith were their works. Kindness is born of faith. Amen. Glory to your name, God. Because after all, faith works by love. And love is kind. Are you with me? Amen. I, I don't know if you're with me yet. See, because when we talk about kindness, you know, I hear people talk about the acts of kindness, but it should be automatic. And if it's not automatic, there's something out of order. I'm going to say this and I'm, move, I'm going to move on, but I, I've always accepted this, that there are two main motivating factors. There's either love or there's lust. And when lust is the motivating factor, what you do will not continue. It will fail. But when love is the motivating factor, it will always keep going because love never fails. So it's really easy to talk about kindness and be kind for a week. Be kind for a month. But if the motivating factor is not love and faith works by love, it will stop. It will not continue. So we're still on the mission. Of seeking and saving the lost. And there are lost that are not of this house. And there are those that are lost that are associated with this house. Never forget that. 
Never forget that. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. I'm just going to read verse 24, even though I like this, this episode here. But verse 24 says, But he answered and said, This is Jesus. He's the he here. But Jesus answered and Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you hear the Lord? He was sent on a mission. And he said his mission was not to the house that's all together. He sent to a house that was lost. He was sent to the lost house of Israel. He says, here's my house. And my house is lost. So I have to deal with the lost in my house. Listen, if we are to restore, that assignment includes the brethren. In fact, it starts there. No, no, you didn't get that. See, we're following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came, he said, you know what? I want God so loved the world. Not just Israel. But he started his mission with his house. Because we, before we can impact the world, the house has to be in order. So if we're to restore, that assignment includes the brethren. It actually starts there. Remember, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Again, I want to remind you, who are the brethren? The brethren are males and females among us. The brethren are the old and the young and everybody in between. They are brethren. Uh, the brethren are the boys and the girls. The brethren are the mature and the immature. The brethren are the rich and the poor and everybody in between. <laughs> Amen. I don't know if we have any rich among us. But anyway, uh, that's everybody. There's no one is excluded. Brethren includes those that are barely here and those that are here on a regular basis. And you may say in your mind, because of how you're affiliated with some people and not so affiliated with others among us, you may say in your mind, I'm a consistent comer while they barely come at all. And I know this consistent comer with me more as a brother than they, but they're still brethren. You may say I'm closer to this sister than I am that sister who barely comes, but they're still brethren. There are some, listen to me, there are some who were here, who are no longer here, but not going anywhere. And every now and then they pop in, they're brethren. They need restoration. And if we're spiritually mature, we're not going to push them away. We're going to do the work of restoration. Amen. Glory to your name. I'll say this and we'll keep moving. They may have done you wrong. They may have done you severely. And they may have been wrong. Not just in your mind. They may have been wrong. But don't forget where you came from. For many, and not all, the toughest assignment is kindness to those who are of the same house. It's the toughest assignment for some of us. To be kind to those that we know so well. Those that we're familiar with their blemishes. And with their spots. And their plain before us. 
We can be kind to others that we don't know, but then uh, we know we, we're so familiar with them, too familiar with them, that we don't think we owe them kindness. We don't need to be kind. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 53. You know, you know I'm not a preacher, right? You know that, right? So I hope you didn't come here to get preached to. But I do want you to hear the voice of God. Matthew 13, verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hast this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother and James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? You know, here it is, Jesus and his popularity and people enjoying what he has to minister and his gospel message, but he goes to his own country. They're so familiar with him. Is not this, verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son we're familiar with? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother and James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus knows the truth. He is the truth. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus said, I can get respect anywhere else when I come to my own people. Hallelujah. We got people who come in here who are hurting, and they get bad treatment, poor treatment from us, but they go out in the world, and they get treated kinder. Jesus said, I know the truth. The prophet is not without honor. It's when you get with your own people. When it really hurts. We're talking upward, inward, and outward. See, we think we got it together upward, but we don't have it together inward, and we won't be affected out, effective outward. We have them that are lost, that are of this house. And again, I want to make sure you understand, we still claim them as ours. Now, don't get it twisted. Our time is valuable. And some people are not interested in being restored. I'm not talking about them. But when people make themselves accessible, they're saying, help me. I'm making myself available to you because you have something that I need. The work of restoration is precious. You know why it's precious? Because it's God's desire. No, you missed that altogether. You know, so many times we're, we're interested in what we want. What about what God wants? His desire is the restoration of others. Wow. <laughs> Again, this just gets me. God loves you more than your mama and your daddy. There is no love that is greater than the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. When others don't desire you, He still has a desire for you. So the work of restoration is precious because it is God's desire. So what then is 
the time for the work of restoration? When is it time for the work of restoration? See, because some people aren't interested in it. While others need to be restored. When is it time for us to do the work of restoration? It is time when we have access to those we know need to be restored and we have what they need. When we have access, they have to give us access to them. If they're denying us access, we can't do anything about that. But if they give us access, we know they need to be restored and we have what they need, it is time for us to do the work of restoration. But here's the key. Here's what I really want you to understand. Your heart has to be right. Your heart has to be right. I want to emphasize this again. I've heard people mention kindness since we started talking about that and brought an emphasis to it. But it's more than the acts. The heart must be there. Otherwise, it's going nowhere. Now, we made the statement, I want to remind you of this. God doesn't put his hands on tools. He put his hands on man. (laughs) Men, we are God's instruments. But here's the thing about who God uses. God's choice of anyone to use, their heart has to be right. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. God doesn't put his hands on tools. He puts his hands to men to get his work done. And if he's going to work through you, your heart must be right. God does not choose to work through those whose hearts are not right. And I want to make sure you understand this. We can have all the outward trappings. This is why it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Because some of us have the outward trappings, but our heart is not right. And we can say amen. We can quote the scriptures. We can refer to whatever service where they said, the minister said, the preacher said, the pastor said, but yet our heart is not right. And God's work of restoration is not being done. 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is where the prophet Samuel was called to go and anoint the next king of the nation of Israel. And he saw somebody who had all the outward trappings. Verse 7. Well, let's look at verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. See all the outward trappings. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, he's tall, dark, and handsome. But I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance But the Lord looks on the heart. Hallelujah. So if we are going to do the work of restoration, if we're going to be a spiritually mature ministry who does build, who's going to restore them of this own own house, our heart has to be right. And so therefore, when we talk about kindness, always remember the heart has to be right when we talk about kindness, when we employ kindness. 
And here's kindness. Kindness is a quality. It is a virtue, which is the behavior of the tender-hearted and the meek. It's the behavior of the tender-hearted. Again, it's not forced. It shouldn't have to be forced. Now, now, sometimes I believe that there are challenges to our kindness. But when our heart is right, we can endure. And I know how it goes. Sometimes it's like, why do I always have to be the mature one? Why don't they have to be mature? See, your heart has to be right to understand. Yeah, but at the end, when it's all said and done, I'll have my brother with me again. But kindness is a quality. It's a virtue, which is the behavior of the tender-hearted and the meek. See, kindness is not dormant because it is born of faith. It is active. It's not just in word. It's in action. Kindness is not harsh. It's not mean. It's not snooty. It's not uppity. <laughs> It doesn't refuse to give assistance. It doesn't deny the benefit of the resources that I have. It doesn't withhold generosity. It does not deny mercy and forgiveness. Listen, it doesn't grant help and mercy with a price. Making somebody feel as though you're better than they are. Above them. It doesn't do that. Kindness does not hold help as a tool against another for future use. Oh, do you understand that? See, I'm not going to be kind to you because I'm going to call up a favor in time to come. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but this is, um, this is mature stuff. Because once you've done good to somebody and they don't do good in return, when your time of need is there, you can't hold it against them. Because what you did, you didn't do so you can get in return... Otherwise, you wouldn't be the child of the Most High. You did out of the kindness of your heart. <laughs> Glory to your name. Kindness is to be gentle. It's to be tender. And it is to be loving. It is the tangible expression of being tender in heart. Again, I, I like that tangible expression. It leaves the receiver of your kindness with something that lasts. But kindness is the tangible expression of being tender in heart, gentle, loving, considerate, caring, compassionate, hmm, empathetic. I know I'm still reviewing. Stay with me on this one. This is, to me, this is precious. Kindness is the tangible expression of being tender in heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm not just tender heart and word. I'm going to give you evidence of my tenderness in my heart. I'm going to give you evidence of my gentleness. I'm going to give you evidence of my love for you. I'm going to give you evidence of my consideration for you. I'm going to give you evidence of my caring for you. I'm going to give you evidence that I am compassionate. I'm going to give you evidence of my being empathetic. Empathetic means to be able to understand and share the feelings of someone else. And this gets me. Oh, this gets me. Because you know who was empathetic? the Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have not a, a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He can relate. And get this, this gets me. He relates on a level we cannot relate to. He knew no sin, but he paid the total price for sin. 
We know a few consequences. But we don't know the fullness of the price that was paid because of our sin. I don't know what this means to you, but that tells me how much my God loves me. I mean, we sing those songs. I will never know what it cost to see my sin upon that cross. He kept us from what should have been. He knows the weight because He bore our griefs. He carried our, He bore the weight of sins. He took it upon Himself. He knows how heavy sin is. <laughs> wow. I, again, that, that just amazes me. He is the Lord of glory. His throne was never in jeopardy. His seat was safe. But He came down. Related to our sin. The penalty, the total price, that we might go free. But we can empathize with others because we know the consequences on this level. Now, surely if our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ can empathize, we can empathize. <laughs> Again, that gets me. He knows things about the weight of sin we will never know. Thank you, my God. Kindness is for, and again, I'm, I'm trying to quickly get through this because I, I want to get to John chapter 4. Kindness is for the purpose of restoration. Therefore, kindness makes room for God to work. That's all it does. I, I just want to give room for God to work. Kindness does not beat down the already beaten down. Oh, please understand me in this. No one likes to get anything wrong. I don't believe any of us like to be wrong. And when it is come... Now, here's the thing about it. When we're wrong in front of others, and we have to go back and correct our wrong in front of others, it's painful enough to say I was wrong. But I don't need you making it worse and making it more painful for me to come back and say I was wrong. Because I was wrong. So I don't need to be beaten down. You don't help me with that. They come and they allow themselves to be restored because they knew they were in the wrong position. They knew they were somewhere where they don't belong. They don't need you making it worse. Kindness makes time when it's not convenient. Kindness relinquishes the perceived right to another word. Amen. You know, I heard it said. I understand. I heard it said. I heard it last year, and I believe we should take it into this year. We don't need to talk too much. Amen. Some of us just have to keep saying something when the conversation should have been over. Someone was ready to repent, but you had to have another word. <laughs> you had to justify yourself when God was in the middle of a work, and you had too many words. I know, I know, you, don't, you can't relate to this. Because you always keep your mouth shut. You never have an extra word to say. Kindness is not predicated on the receiver's behavior. <laughs> the person in need of restoration does not have to earn your kindness. Again, oh, no man 
anything but to love Him. That is a debt you cannot pay. You are always in the debt of owing men love. Kindness is not predicated on the receiver's behavior. That person who is in need of restoration does not have to earn your kindness. Kindness says, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, to the person who needs you and your help, but for the grace of God, I could be in that position as well. Okay, hallelujah. Sometimes we've been clean for such a long time we forgot what it was to be dirty. And we forgot how we got clean. And it wasn't by works of righteousness which you accomplished. It's by His grace. <laughs> if not for His grace, it could be me. See, that's where kindness comes from. See, our hearts must be right. Now, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get a chance to spend much time on this, but if our hearts are not right, we have to remove ourselves. We have to remove ourselves. I was watching a game uh, a few weeks ago, and, uh, a professional football game. And there was this critical play, and a turnover happened. And the announcer starts saying, now, now, wait a minute. They've got a number one running back. They've got a number one receiver. Why weren't they out there for that play? But they go back and they show a replay of a few plays before. And the main running back goes, takes a hit, gets up. And he puts his hands up and he runs to the sideline and says, hey, somebody come in for me. He took himself out. Because he knew whatever damage had happened to him, he was about to be a detriment to the team. And we have a common goal here. And I want what we're after to go on even though I might have a deficit. So if our hearts are not right, we cannot be kind, we need to go to the sideline. But God doesn't look for you to stay on the sidelines. He understands you may have taken yourself out for a play, but He doesn't want you out of play forever. You see, that's maturity. When I can recognize I have this deficit, I need to take myself out of this equation, but while you're taking yourself out, let God work on you. You know how you let God work on you? Shut your mouth. Come here and let God minister to you a word that He has prepared for you. This is why you pray for your ministry. That's why you pray for your ministers, that God speaks and it's not us in our opinions. Because there are, there are those among us who know we need some work. And God says, I have something to get that work done. But what you need to do is stop justifying yourself, acknowledge and recognize and confess your deficit, and just submit and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He'll get you right. But many of us, we recognize the deficit but we forsake the Word of God. Oh, you didn't get me. We know that we're in trouble. We know that we need help. We know that we need God in the equation. But we can't get up at 845 on Sunday mornings to get a word about our family. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, the, the, I understand. And then we end up in more trouble and yet cannot relate to what is the issue because I have all the outward trappings. But God needs to do a work on your heart. And I don't care what it is that causes you to stay at home. You need to get over it. Amen. I, I'm, I'm, I want to help you out here. 
I've got to get back to this, but I want to help you out here. Men, be a man. You don't understand what that means? I'm not having my wife pester me to come. I'm going to be in her case to come along with me. I didn't hear any bass. That's called being a man. That's called being the representative. You know, we just talked about those men who are going to join that club. Those are examples. Those are men we look to who can lead others. You need to be a man who can lead others. But you will never get there if you're too full of yourself. You will stay in that deficit. You will get deeper in that deficit. You need to admit that I'm not the man that I need to be. And God has some examples for me there, and I will not be ashamed to follow after. Just trying to help you out. Recognize your deficit and address it. And here's the thing about it. And again, I heard it this morning during family life. We want our children to be better than we are. But we won't be better ourselves. And we pester them about being better than we are. The gospel message cannot stand alone. And must have faith. And faith is active. And once faith is active, then there's substance. Then there's evidence. Back on kindness. Kindness does not preclude does not prevent correction or righteous indignation. This is balance, people. It is not kind to refuse to correct. It's not right. It's not kind when you refuse to correct. That's not kindness at all. Kindness does not mean that there's no correction or no discipline. There, when restoration is required, someone is in a wrong position. The only way to get someone from a wrong position to a right position is correction. So correction is still required. Kindness is it. People, I don't know what they think. They think, if, for me to be kind, I can't correct. No, no, no. Correction is needed. Because remember, kindness is a tool for the work of restoration. Someone needs correction. The key to understand this, though, again, correction is required. Chastisement is necessary. Whom he loves, he chastises. But you understand, it's never pleasurable when someone's corrected. It's never pleasurable when someone is chastised. Kindness minimizes the pain of correction. That's all it does. It minimizes the pain of correction. Again, all these things are things that we've talked about. I'm just trying to get pushed to a place. But kindness minimizes the pain, the blow of correction. But when you will not be corrected, when you need to be corrected, just like we just corrected some men. See, because I guarantee you, someone was kind to you before and tried to correct you, but you haven't done anything about it. And when you need to be corrected, but refuse to be corrected, the pain level goes up for the correction that you need. No, you don't hear me. You don't understand me, do you? You see, the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to be for you. So why put it off any longer? Get it right today. And if you will not, know that God spoke on this day to you. And you will suffer loss that you did not have to suffer. Today, you would hear his voice and harden not your heart. Kindness minimizes. See, that was kind. 
but the pain is going to go up the more you refuse to obey. Now, I want to put your remembrance of all these things so we can get to this example in John chapter 4. Are you in John chapter 4? John chapter 4. We'll see how far we can get in this thing. To me, this is a strong, strong witness. John chapter 4, verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Glory to your name. You understand that? I'm sorry. I've got to stop there and I've got to keep moving. Restoration is God's work. See, just like they say Jesus baptized, but it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing. It was his disciples. See, restoration is God's work, but it's not God who's actually doing his hands, putting his hands on the people. He doesn't have access to the people like that. You do. So when people are restored, God gets the glory. And you get to be workers together with him. (laughs) Amen. Verse 3. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. I love it. I love it. Oh, I love this. Again, if you've been with us any time, if, if you've heard us on the ministry uh, when we talked about I must finish my course or I have finished my course. R- remember we said we all have a course. And what is that course? It's the thing that must be done. We have a lot of things we can do, but there's a thing that must be done. And so when Jesus said, I must needs go, he's on his course. This is the ministry that Jehovah has for God the Son. So he's on purpose here. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Now it makes sense that a woman of Samaria came to draw water because he's in Samaria. So there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That is an understatement. I want to Make sure. All you have to do sometimes, you don't need a bunch of history. You just need to know what the Bible is saying to you by reading the Bible. Now, keep your ribbon there in John chapter 4, and I want you to see this in Luke chapter 9. I'm sorry, no, no, John chapter 8 first. Let's let's look at John chapter 8 first. So here he is. He's in Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. And he encounters a Samaritan woman. And he talks to her. And she's like, why are you talking to me? Because Jews and Samaritans, we don't deal with each other like that. John chapter 8, verse 39. Oh, my goodness. This is, again, I hate to do this. This is in the middle of a conversation. But, but Jesus is he's dealing with some people who need to be dealt with. That's all I can say. All right. Verse 39 says, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Oh, that ministers to me right there. So you say you're Abraham's children. Well, where's the evidence? You can't just be in word Abraham's children. The works must follow Abraham's works. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I've heard of God. This did not Abraham. Abraham didn't try to kill somebody giving them the word of God. Ye do the deeds of your father. <laughs> then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Because you're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. See, you do the works of your father. It's just not Abraham. You have your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye, ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Don't you understand? Those are fighting words. I mean, he's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to them who pride themselves on their closeness to God and holds it over other people. And he's telling them, you're the devil. I love Jesus' ministry. <laughs> I mean, what a ministry. You're the devil. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, you're the devil. I got evidence right here. You're the devil. And so you know they wanted to cuss him out. <laughs> so they got as close to cussing as they could get. Then asked the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. No, no, you didn't get that, did you? The Jews use Samaritan as a cuss word. We're still in John chapter 4, where she said, Now the Jews don't deal with the Samaritan. No, that was an understatement. In the Jews' vernacular, Samaritan is a cuss word. You go to fight. You go to blows as a Jew if someone called you a Samaritan. Just making you understand some things. Look at this in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Because what I want you to do is when we look at John chapter 4, see it as the time for the work of restoration. Jesus went through Samaria... And suddenly he has, he has access. <laughs> Amen. When is it time for us to do the work of restoration? When we have access to those that we need, know need to be restored and we have what they need. Luke chapter 9. Let's look at this in verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up. Again, he is Jesus. That he, being Jesus, should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. When you see Jerusalem, think Jews. Okay? Think Jews as opposed to Samaritans. So, 
And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he would he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. He said, no, you're, you're headed to the Jews. Well, we and the Jews don't get along, so we're not going to cooperate with you. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? Glory to your name. They said, we're through with kindness. They don't know who they mess with. They mess with the wrong preacher. So Jesus, listen. We remember the story of Elijah. He commanded fire to come down. So let's do the same thing. Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Jesus took them out of the game. <laughs> He says, no, you can't deal kindly with them. You need to go to the sidelines. But, no, this is the animosity that was built between the Jews and the Samaritans. When the book of Luke, look at this in chapter 10, verse 25. Many of us are familiar with this. And behold... A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. I'm sorry, that gives me... That, there's a difference in answering right and answering well. Answering right means you gave the right answer. Answering well means you answered out of a sincere heart. No, you, you missed that, did you? Jesus didn't say you answered well. He said you answered right. You gave an answer that is correct, but there's still something wrong. The answer has the trappings of a right heart, but something's missing on the inside. <laughs> he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. Listen to this. But he willing to justify himself. See, there's another word coming. He answered right, but he wanted to justify himself. Remember, kindness relinquishes the perceived right to another word. So when I have to have another word, there's something wrong in my... You may have answered right, but there's something wrong in your heart. I just had to say something else. There's something wrong in your heart. Because you want to... That's where another word comes from. You just want to justify yourself. You're worried about how they see you and not the work that God is doing. Oh, you want... You, you may want to say, y'all don't hear me. No, no, you really don't understand me there, do you? See, God is working when sometimes you don't look so big. 
Sometimes you take on the lesser role that God might be glorified. See, he answered right. He did not answer well. Verse 29, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You know what he's doing? He wants Jesus to confirm how he's been living. And he wants Jesus to confirm how he's been living before others. He says, because in his mind, I'm right. I've been living right. (laughs) I love it. I'm telling you, some of us get in here and we think we got it all together. And Jesus wants to say, there's some things in you I want to work out. You want to go and tell everybody, look how I've been living. And Jesus is like, uh, okay, let's, let's reveal how you've been living. You think you've been good. You think you've been keeping that which God has accepted. But there's some things God has been dealing with you about you have yet to deal with. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Oh, he's messing with the truth. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jews. (laughs) So a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw this poor man, he passed by on the other side. Oh, wow. This is, again, this, this gets me. Because he's dealing with somebody who came out of Jerusalem, who is a Jew. And then here's a Jewish religious spiritual leader, a priest. And see how he dealt with the man. Didn't want to deal with him. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, another religious leader, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, a dirty one in their mind, a filthy one in their mind, somebody they won't have to do anything with, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, He had compassion on him. You know, that's being kind. So a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence... And gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, (laughs) He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Shut up, go and do thou likewise. Enough with the talking. Let's get to doing. You can't even deal with those of your own house and someone you despise had to take care of someone you should have taken care of. See, he set him up with the Samaritan example because that is the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. There's hatred there. Turn back to John chapter 4. 
<laughs> John chapter 4. Ooh. So verse number 9 again, she says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So now we understand where she's coming from. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and we, he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Stop right there. Don't let that get past you. Art thou greater than Jacob? She didn't say, are you greater than Jacob? She said, are you greater than our father Jacob? She, being a Samaritan, claims Jacob as her father. Who is Jacob? Is Jacob also known as Israel? I'm sorry, is Jacob also known as the son of I'm, 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 wait a minute now. And is that not the son of Abraham? You're telling me the Jews and the Samaritans are related. They come from the same house. They come from the same house. Now, are you getting this? Are you putting all this together? Are you really comprehending this? See, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. They had an opportunity to restore their brothers, and they didn't, and now there is hatred built up between those who should be of the same house. Such hatred that the Jews were not willing to deal with the Samaritans. Now, now again, I want to remind you, Jesus came to deal with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's being an example. He's not saying what should be done. He's showing them what should be done. He's showing church of the living water what should be done. Again, Jesus came to deal with the Jews. Now, here's the question. Was there blame only on the Jewish side? Or was the blame also on the Samaritan side? Doesn't matter. No, no, you're not hearing me again. You're not understanding. Doesn't matter. When we read Galatians 6 and 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault, the question might come up, how was he overtaken? It's not mentioned because it doesn't matter. If you're spiritually mature, restore. Hey man, you, no, no, you're not hearing me yet, are you? See, you keep wanting someone else to make the first step when the responsibility is on you. Christ is dealing with you about what you need to do. Jesus was dealing with those in the house, and the division. I want to know, the division is complicated. It is very complicated between the Samaritans and the Jews. And when you look back at it, it finds its core at when the northern kingdom 
went into captivity to Assyria. And when they repatriated, there's some arguments about whether or not they were pure Jews who repatriated. But you know why they went into captivity? Because of sin. No, 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 no. You're still missing me. I'm sorry. I've got to take my time on this one. So, here are the Jews not wanting to deal with the Samaritans because of something that started with sin. And because of the Samaritan sin, they had a wrong idea of worship. But are the Jews innocent of sin? So why am I being mad at somebody else because of sin when I got sin on my own account? Oh, no, 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 no. Keep your ribbon there. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Turn to Romans chapter 2. See, this is the example for you. You want to hold grudge against somebody because of what they've done, but your track record, your rap sheet, is not something to go and boast about. Romans chapter 2. See, we've got to do this work, but our heart has to be right. And so, God has to deal with us about some things that are in our heart that we need to get rid of that we might do the work of restoration. Romans chapter 2. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for, in, for wherein thou judgest another, you condemn yourself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And think is that, oh, commit what things? Judging others while condemning their own selves in their judgment. <laughs> but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape <laughs> the judgment of God? He said, now if you want to hold that against them, what can God hold against you? So you condemn yourself with your judgment of them and putting them in a place where they are beyond help. Where they are beyond God's care. If that is your judgment, then you should get the same. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God led thee to repentance. Oh, man, I, I, I really want to get this over to you. Somebody was through with you. Before Christ, somebody was through with you. Somebody saw you as hopeless. Somebody saw you as a lost cause. But God had mercy. God, had, God sent somebody with compassion. God sent a Samaritan into your life who didn't care where you came from, who didn't care your backstory, who just knew you needed help, and who wanted to be about the work of God. And it got you to repentance. So now here you are on this side, and things seem to be right between you and God, and we have somebody else who you have animosity against. And they're guilty of the same things you were at one time guilty of. And you want to withhold your goodness? 
You want to withhold your compassion? You don't want to be kind toward them? You are condemning your own self. We've got to get over some things, people. <laughs> We've got to get over We have to get over it. Again, we want them to be the mature ones. When God said, if you're mature, restore. Back to John chapter 4. Verse 12 again. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I need restoration. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Wow. That's, see, one of the things that gets you about this is when you read about women going to the well, they went at a certain time and it became a sort of social gathering. But she was there alone. There are no other women there. She's in her shame. She didn't want to associate with anybody else. So she... she she was in need of restoration. Verse 16. Then Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said. See, she didn't just answer right. right. She answered well. She answered out of a sincere heart. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now get this. Jesus, being a Jew, was kind in just speaking to her. He was just kind in just speaking to her. He took time out for her. He did not make her feel like a slut. He didn't beat down. They're already beaten down. But at the same time, he corrected her. <laughs> That's beautiful. This is wonderful. Again, and I want, you to, I want to make sure you understand, when she came to that reality and the realization, it didn't make her feel good. But kindness tamped down the pain of that correction. I'm sorry, but this is to me, again, God was kind toward you. It could have been worse, but he was kind toward you. He could have beat you down while you were beaten down, but he was kind toward you. It make you feel like you were a lost cause. Picked you up when you were down by his kindness. And now he's just calling us to do the same thing to others. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. See, that was part of the animosity. As they worshipped in a certain mountain, and they did not go to Jerusalem, and the Jews said, see, there's another reason why we don't like you. Jesus said unto her, woman, 
Believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Again, I, I want you to understand this. He's not telling her you don't know nothing. He's saying the responsibility is on us who know. So I'm here as a Jew who knows and you can't know if I don't come to you to help you be restored. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, listen to this, the hour cometh and is even now when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, you're in church, so I'm going to church you. Okay, I'm going to church you. He's telling this woman, now, Jerusalem is the right place to worship, but the time is coming. And it's even now, it doesn't matter where you worship, you've got to be a true worshiper. See, some of you come in church and you think you're a worshiper. And you think this place makes it right, but you must be a true worshiper. You can't just be a Sunday morning when I come worshiper. You must be a worshiper at all times. See, some of us stop our cursing when we get in here. Some of us stop our cantankerous <laughs> and unpatient ways when we get in here. Some of us act lovely when we get in here, and we think it's the mountain that justifies us in our worship. But the time is now. It's not about the building. You must be a true worshiper. And you ought to be convicted. You ought to feel that conviction right now. Amen. Glory to God. Again, God has to deal with us. And let me tell you this. If you don't feel convicted, something's wrong with you. If you can come in church on a regular basis and never feel conviction, something is wrong with you. I believe you are dead. You don't have any blood flowing in your veins. Because we all have work. That needs to be done on us. And so when you come to church, you ought to get conviction. This is why we warn you about going to churches where you never get convicted. The Spirit is not there. But where the Spirit is, there is liberty. But liberty only comes with correction. And correction brings about conviction. Let me tell you, it's a kind thing. It is a kind thing that God, through the pulpit, brings forth your correction. Or do you want Him to call you by name? Now, you don't understand this. I really want you to understand it. It is kindness that does this. Even though you say, that preacher is picking on me. No, it's kind. Because if you refuse this act of kindness, remember the level of pain for your correction is going to go up. And it does come from time to time where names must be called. You better take what God gives you and run with it quickly. And don't delay I'm going to finish with these few verses. Verse 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. See, they, they be family. Not only was Jacob their father, they're still looking for the Messiah. They still believe in the Christ. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples 
and marvel that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Again, you understand, they're Jews. And so in their Jewish ways, they're like, What is he doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Verse 28, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? This gets me. Now, here she is at a place where there should be a social gathering, but she doesn't want to be with the social crowd. Here she is. She has had five husbands and is with another man right now. She's in need of restoration. She has been an outcast by the Jews and by her own people. Then she comes to this realization. The Messiah talked to me. She has been devalued for so long. <laughs> I'll tell you. If y'all came last Sunday, you heard about hatred. And how there was a devaluing process in our love and hatred. So she had been devalued. And imagine her sense of value. When she came to the realization. That Messiah took time out. To come and visit me. I'm, I'm sorry, come talk to me. She didn't know that he on purpose came to visit her. She just had the experience that he spoke with me. Now, she's not running from the crowd. She's running to the crowd. She did not know the Messiah made a special trip for her, but he was on purpose. Check this out. She didn't go to him. He went after her. And I'm going to end with this statement. Stop assigning responsibility for restoration to others. You know what I mean by that? The one you have something against, you wait for them to get it right. You say, it's their responsibility. No, it's yours. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.